Hello everyone, welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're just on chapter one, but yes, you've already missed two episodes. Go back, listen to them as we <laughs> cover John Frame's Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. And so the last two episodes, we covered the preface and the introduction of this uh, kind of second edition and talked about uh, the 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 overview of what the book is going to give us, and then also um, uh, kind of why is this being presented uh, for the second edition. So um, we're gonna we're gonna kick it off here with uh, the basics of apologetics. So uh, chapter one is where we're gonna start today. All right. So here's here's our mantra. We we should know we should know this by heart as apologetics. Uh, people who like apologetics, First Peter three fifteen and sixteen, the apostle exhorts That's readers. Right. But this is the apologetics creed, the apologetics creed, yeah, right? You, you, should, you should know it in Latin. You should know it in Greek. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, the, German. The, the Hebrew. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, f- French for Calvin there. Yeah. So. It's, it's the one bad thing about Calvin is he was French. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, I think it's important to, 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 to back up, not just to give the defense, but the, the whole passage here, and obviously uh, you'd always want to provide even more context, but uh, here is, is, uh, is where we should start. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Set him apart. Make him the, the special thing, the holy, the being sanctified. Uh, we're to sanctify ourselves from the world, from our old self. And so we, you know, where do we get that, that uh, motivation? We get it from making Christ as holy, as separate. Right. So this is the the foundation, the assumption that we're going into. We might even say the presupposition that we use as we begin our to to find out what exactly what Peter is talking about in terms of what he wants us to do uh, with regard to apologetics. We want to begin with Christ. Right. We're Christians. And so we have a perspective. And so we want to set Christ apart as holy in our lives, right? And that's the foundation that we're to have uh, with regard to our apologetics um, and, and even our apologetic methodology. Right. And, and we don't do it from a utilitarian approach. We do it. Why? Because he's the Lord. He's the the one who is able to define all things because he created all things. He holds all things together. Uh, we're just coming out of the Christmas season uh, um, when, uh, when you're viewing this. And so, uh, it's amazing to think that as he was crying in the manger, he's also holding all the elements of Mars together. So he's mm. he's doing both those things, and 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 that's who he is. He is Christ. He is he is holy because he is Christ. So, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. Who kings, slaves, poor people, rich people, uh, children. Uh, adults, uh, people who say they know things, people who say, I've never heard this before. Who do we tell? Anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. Always an important part there, like how we always should add uh, verse 10 to uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And <laughs> having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Um, I was I was talking to uh, a pastor about this this week. Uh, our goal should be to to live so honorably that they that they have to lie about us. So that that's what we want to do. That's <laughs> if the, they want to put us down, they have to tell a lie. Wow, that, that's that, that's that, pretty good. That's yeah. our goal, and I'll mm. I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same here, right? 
All right, so the first six, so that's, so uh, Frame begins now his book on apologetics with this extremely important passage, uh, the command actually that we have from Peter, right, to, to do apologetics. Right. This and, is, and, you know, the, the marching orders, yeah. we might say, for apologetics, right? And, and this this isn't a command to pastors. It's not a command to the 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 the, the minister of apologetics in your church. This This is to you. <laughs> This is to me. Yeah. This is to everybody. This is there, there's no office of apologist, unfortunately. Uh, so uh, guess what? You're on the hook for this just as much as you are for the Great Commission. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So the the, the next thing now after uh, presenting this this uh, you know uh, apologetic uh, creed, we might say, right? He uh, begins with some definitions, and so this is where he uh, heads to next. So what are some definitions? Well, he says Christian apologetics, which has nothing to do with apologizing, by the way, uh, seeks to serve God and the church by helping believers to carry out the mandate of First uh, Peter 3, 15 and 16. He says we may define it as the uh, discipline that teaches Christians how to give a reason for their hope. So we're commanded to do this. And he says apologetics, this particular um, discipline, he says, is probably a way to help us to understand how to give a reason for the hope that is in us that Peter says we're supposed to talk about. He says that he believes that uh, we can distinguish three aspects of apologetics. And so we'll discuss those three aspects here uh, in detail as we go along uh, in later chapters, but he's going to summarize those for us first. Right. And they have to be three because yeah. three is the magic number always for a number of points That's that right. you have. <laughs> That's right. And in preaching, it's three, right? Three points and a poem. So yeah. I don't know if we'll get a poem out of this, but <laughs> we'll have at least three points. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first one is apologetics as proof, presenting a rational basis for faith or Proving Christianity to be true, Jesus and the apostles often offered evidence to people who had difficulty believing that the gospel was true. And we see this in John 14 and 20 and uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Believers themselves sometimes doubt, and at that point, apologetics becomes useful uh, for them, even apart from its role in dialogue with unbelievers. Again, th think about when uh, Peter's offering this. This is before uh, the Gnostics. This is before... Uh, Rome comes in with their spies and, and, and um, uh, you know, going, oh, th these these people are incestual because they call each other brothers and sisters. Uh, they they uh, delight in cannibalism because they're they're uh, they're offering the body and blood of their of their God. This, this is a bizarre creatures. And so so uh, you, you might be in the marketplace and you run into these type of people that says, oh, I've, I heard you're you're this uh, cannibalistic incestual. Uh, Christian now, uh, you know, what does, what does that mean? Well, n now we, we've, we've got to, uh, we've got to deal with uh, people that um, are now asking us questions that we may not have asked ourselves before and doubt might creep in um, because of there. Believers themselves sometimes doubt in this point that the apologetics becomes useful for them, even apart from this role in the dialogue with unbelievers. That is to say, apologetics confronts unbelief in the believer as well as the believer. Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Of uh, help me in my unbelief is a prayer that uh, probably we should pray way more 
um, um, because if, if uh, even Jesus answers that prayer in that moment for the person who is asking for a miracle and witness miracles, then uh, how much so uh, do we need it as well? So uh, yeah, that should be exactly. our, our prayer. And I think it's fascinating here that he starts with apologetics as proof. And he talks about presenting a rational basis for the faith, proving Christianity to be true. And he mentions that Jesus and the apostles often offered evidence. So he starts with this idea of offering evidence, which is oftentimes, you know, this particular approach, presuppositionalism, is accused of not using evidence. Yeah. You he just assume everything here. is true. Yeah, yeah. And yet he starts here, his definition is uh, proving by using evidence. And so clearly he does not understand apologetics uh, <laughs> and this particular approach, right? This methodology as absent from evidence, right? He says, no, it's part of evidence is part of the deal, right? So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Secondly, he says uh, apologetics as defense. So we have apologetics as proof. Secondly, apologetics as defense. And the idea here is we, we're answering the objections of unbelief, right? Paul describes his mission as defending and confirming the gospel, he tells us in uh, Philippians 1.7. So confirming, he uh, suggests, may refer to uh, number one above, right? The uh, apologetics is proof. But defending, he says, is more specifically focused on giving answers to objections. Right. So much of Paul's writings in the New Testament, he tells us, is apologetic in this sense, in terms of giving answers to objections. Uh, and he, you know, he, he tells us to think of how many times that uh, Paul responds to imaginary or real objectors in, for instance, the letter of the Romans. Yeah, Romans uh, 9. Think, yeah, right. Or uh, think of how often Jesus even deals with the objections of religious leaders in the Gospel of John, right? So apologetics as defense, defending what we believe, right? Answering objections to uh, to um, uh, to unbelief is part of the apologetic process. Mm -hmm. All right, so apologetics as proof, apologetics as defense, and then the final one is apologetics as offense. So attacking the foolishness of the unbelieving thought is what kind of we're, we're called to do in both the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, Psalm 14 and 1 Corinthians 1 talks about those things. In view of the importance of number two, of it being uh, a defense, it is not surprising that some will define apologetics as just defense of the faith. That, that's all we do. We, 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 we uh, raise up these objections and we're knocking them down. We're, we're, we're going bowling with our apologetic ball or we're just knocking them down. But that definition can be misleading. Uh, it's still a part of it, but it's not uh, the complete picture. God calls his people not only to answer the objections of unbelievers, but also to go on the attack against falsehoods. Uh, uh, Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty mm. opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So just some, some thoughts, just 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 the ones that are, are uh, geared towards uh, politics. Unfortunately, it's every thought, every thought, mm -hmm. how, how to uh, raise our children, how to educate them, how to um, uh, go out into the world, how to do work, uh, how to work alongside uh, people who have different beliefs than you, how to treat people uh, in political uh, 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 delineations uh, that are apart from yours. All these things must obey Christ. That, that, that's, uh, that's our goal. Non-Christians thinking is folly 
or foolishness, as the Bible calls it, according to scripture. And one function of apologetics is to expose that foolishness for what it is. It's not to sit back and let the world do what it is, but to, to be like uh, John the Baptist and confronting Herod, uh, you know, you, you know this, Herod, you're not supposed to be uh, a husband to uh, your your um, your sister-in-law here. Uh, that, that's wrong. Or King Agrippa. Oh, Paul, you almost had me. I was almost a Christian. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Paul confronts his foolishness for, uh, you know, months at a time, weeks at a time. And so uh, the, the threefold approach here is that it offers proof to the believer and builds us up offers a defense to, to people who have objections. And then it also is kind of this attack maneuver where uh, it, the world presents something as good and the Bible says it's not. And so how do we just other than point to and say, well, scripture says, which is also a, a decent answer. Um, is there more that we can do to, to fill out that <laughs> type of argumentation? Yes. And, and so this, I think, is where uh this particular approach, and he's going to, you know, talk about it in just a second, presuppositionalism. This particular approach is really strong because the presuppositionist goes after the unbeliever with regard to their, as he suggests here, folly and foolishness of their thinking, right? And so we ask the question, you know, how do you know that's true when various claims are given, right? And so that's an offensive uh, approach. And uh, we'll see that as we go through presuppositional apologetics here, that it's, uh, it's on the offense, right? It, it, it uh, kind of puts the, and we saw this when we were going through Greg Bonson's book, right? He puts the unbeliever on their heels. He, you know, he wants to know why do you believe what you believe and do you have a foundation, right? And so this apologetics is offense is uh, not offensive, but as offense, right, right. Is, is an important part of this particular presuppositional approach. Mm -hmm. And so these three types of apologetics then are, he tells us, perspectively related. For example, an argument for the existence of God, that's perspective one, uh, you know, giving evidence and that sort of thing, that takes no account of unbelievers' objections to such arguments, that's perspective two, or to the ways in which an unbeliever you know, satisfies themselves with an alternative worldview, that's three, will to that extent be a weakened argument. So if you, he suggests, sometimes if you just use the evidential approach, and he's not talking about that in terms of, you know, the, the methodology, but just giving evidence, right? Uh, uh, we, we can miss out on the things that we need to say if we don't buttress it with these other two aspects, right? And so he wants us to understand that, you know, these three work together. He says it's often useful in apologetics to ask whether an argument of type one, you know, that uh, giving proof can be improved by some supplemental argumentation of types uh, two and three or even of both two and three. Mm -hmm. So these three various types of uh, apologetics, he says, are, are related and they can work together and should work together. Yeah. I think about our, our last book that we did, uh, What About Evil by Scott Christensen, where, uh, you know, th this, this, th that, that, that question could, could be uh, implemented in all three of these. And that, that bolstering could be, well, uh, you know, wh why did this evil happen? I'm, I'm, I'm doubting because I see evil happening. 
And so you can give an answer that says, well, you know, God is in control. He's sovereign of all things. Now, other believers or other non-believers might say, well, it doesn't look like there's any possibility for redemption to, to come about in, in this evil act. And so there's type two coming in. And so is there a, a response to that? And so you can give that one. And then coming in and say, uh, also, the, the other side, you can ask them, well, how do you define evil? Where, where do you get your basis for evil? Boom, there's three. And all those were kind of uh, intermixed and, and well done in, in that book. And so this this uh, this type of approach for apologetics uh, does that in the way that uh, that that uh, what about evil? Did. Hmm. All right. So presuppositions, if we adopt the word of God as our ultimate commitment, our ultimate standard, our ultimate uh, criterion of truth and falsity, God's word becomes our presupposition. It's the, the basis. So, so of that's the, exactly. So yeah. that's what he wants to get at with regard to this particular presupposition approach, this idea of ultimate commitment. Right. Right. And so everybody has an ultimate commitment, right? The believer, the unbeliever. And so we all have presuppositions. We all enter into the discussion with our ultimate commitments. And so that's his that's how he wants us to see this particular methodology, this particular approach. Right. Mm -hmm. Is we start with our ultimate commitments. And of course, for the believer, it's our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross and the scriptures that God has given us. Those are, that's our ultimate commitment, right? God himself and how he's revealed himself and what he's accomplished. Right. We, we, we go back to uh, verse, uh, verse 15 of First Peter uh, 3 there, where in your heart, set apart Jesus as Lord. So there's our basis. Jesus is Lord and sanctify him, set him apart, make him unique and special. And from there, we can give an answer to the hope that we have. So there's our basis. The, the, even even First Peter there in uh, three is is talking about making God's word, uh, his revelation, the center point by which we can make leaps off of application to other areas of our lives. All right. So that is to say, since we use it to evaluate all other beliefs, so we use God's word as the the the, the basis for looking at all other beliefs, whether it be Mormonism or Islam or humanism or, uh, uh, you know, Martians come down and they want to tell us about the the uh, idea of, of um, Mars being the best place to, to go. All these <laughs> things we can use uh, 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 to evaluate uh, on the basis of God's word. We must regard it as more certain than any other belief. Why? Because mm -hmm. if we say, well, how do you know that? If we say, well, because of this other thing, well, hold on. We're not we're not at the base yet. We're not we're not at right. the foundational level. When we when we build a house, we we lay the foundation. If I were to say, well, what are you putting that 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 foundation on? Well, if I have another foundation, then that that's the foundation. So so I'm 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 mixing up my my uh, my definitions here. If I tell you that <laughs> I have a foundation that I've laid, and you ask me, well, what are you laying that on? Well, I'm laying it on this other foundation. Well, nope. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let's talk about that one then. And so yeah. th this is this is where we want to start. Good. And so he says, some theologians present apologetics as if it were uh, almost an exception to this ultimate commitment, right? He says, they tell us that when we argue with unbelievers, we should not argue on the basis of criteria or standards derived from the, from the Bible. To argue that way, they say, would be biased, right? You're biased. Um, we should rather, he tells us, uh, you know, these folks say, uh, uh, 
present to the unbeliever an unbiased argument, one that makes no religious assumptions, pro or con, one that is neutral. <laughs> mm. We should not, on this view, right, use criteria and standards that the unbeliever himself cannot accept. So logic, facts, experience, reasons, and such become the sources of truth according to this particular perspective. Mm -hmm. Divine revelation, especially the scriptures, is systematically excluded and not used, right? And of course, he's going to say, why in the world would we do something like that? Right. Right. <laughs> right. If, if, if we believe Jesus about when he says, uh, believe on me with your whole heart and you shall be saved, if, if we can trust him in that, let's trust him in every area. Because if there we're, we're having to have faith, which is a, 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 a correct trust in the truth, then we should trust him in other things that he reveals to us in scripture. And, and so th that's what this presuppositionalism here uh, does as well. All right, so this sort of apologetic is sometimes called the traditional or classical method because it claims uh, many advocates down through church history. So it's it's the it's the one that you kind of think of. There's the two-step model. You kind of uh, d develop this uh, this idea of a general God, and then you uh, mix in the resurrection from from there. Or uh, you might uh, uh, take a, um, a purely um, philosophical point you you're making your premise you're you're having sound arguments and from there you're kind of arguing if the premises are true or not and so um this is uh differentiates itself from uh, the presuppositional apologetic method so he says i'm far from wishing to declare this traditional worthless but on the precise point at issue the question of neutrality i do believe that it is a position that is unbiblical it allows you to tell the unbeliever, all right, uh, or or vice versa, uh, the unbeliever to you saying, put your Bible down, let's start at nothing and and work our way up to what we can agree upon or or uh, be able to leave on the table. And from there, we can prove whether or not God is real or uh, Jesus Christ rose from the dead or uh, the Christian um, um, idea of how to run the world is is the, uh, the best uh, way to do so. Mm -hmm. So that's not what we should do and it's not something we can do and so we we covered that uh um in uh, uh bonson's last book um and so uh obviously we're gonna um build into that uh, from here as well peter tells us on the contrary that the lordship of jesus and hence the truth of his word for how can we call him lord again make jesus christ our lord and how do we not say that uh it is our ultimate presupposition so if, if he is Lord, if he's Lord of all, if all things are dependent on him and made by him and by him and for him, and he holds all things together, how can, how can we have another uh, standard? An ultimate presupposition is a basic heart commitment and ultimate trust. Right. And so again, we're right back at this issue of commitment. He says that this means not only that the apologist must honor Christ as uh, um, the Lord as holy, but also that his argument must presuppose that lordship, mm -hmm. right? So to tell the unbeliever that we can reason with him on a neutral basis, however that claim might help to attract his attention, he tells us, is really a lie. Indeed, it's a lie of the most serious kind, for it falsifies the very heart of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says there is no neutrality. Our witness is either God's wisdom or the world's fooling. 
foolishness. There is nothing in between. Even if neutrality were possible, he says, that route wouldn't, would, wouldn't uh, allow itself for us. It would be forbidden uh, to us because we're to have Jesus as Lord, right? And based on that, we're to give an account of, for the hope that is in us. And so this neutrality now, he's going he's gonna to go after this particular issue. All right. So he says then that when he opposes neutrality, what he opposes is appealing to something other than God's revelation as the ultimate standard for truth. Again, it's the basis. It's, it's the it's the the first step that we can take off from. It's what we build the basketball courts of that we are able to make the rules to dribble the ball to make the baskets and win the game. I think it's perfectly acceptable, he says, to start with present areas of agreement and work on from there. In one sense, there are all kinds of agreements beginning with the sky is blue. So I mean that it's, you know, daytime and you don't live in Michigan anymore and uh, you can see the sky, all those things. So, yes, I, I, I believe at one point the sky was blue at some point in time. OK, it'll be blue again. <laughs> well, how, by what standard are you able to make yeah. such claims? Yeah. Induction. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Man standard. I see how it is. <laughs> All right. But neutrality is not agreeing on matters like that, but on agreement of such things as worldview and epistemology. We're, we're, we're saying let's start on no basis whatsoever. Well, how do we do that? How do we start with no basis? Let's just, uh, 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 the, uh, the, the joke of um, uh, remove everything from your mind and now think about, well, hold on. I've just removed everything from my mind. How, how do I think from there if I've removed everything? How am I under, uh, able to understand words and definitions? I've removed everything. And so obviously we, we can't have that type of, of commitment. And so we shouldn't present it as such and we shouldn't call other people to it. And um, it would be very good for the other side to call us out and say, I thought Jesus was Lord for you. Why are, why are you, why are you saying that he isn't here? Well, yeah. uh, because yeah, it's or he doesn't exist. Let's assume he doesn't exist. Right? Kind of yeah. So notice what he, what he does here. He says that it's perfectly acceptable to start with, uh, you know, present areas of agreement. So he's not saying we don't start with, per, you know, areas of agreement. Right. And then we, we go from there, but he says neutrality is not agreeing on matters like worldview and epistemology. That's where we have to draw the line, right? He says if the world, for instance, is a world of chance, how could anybody agree on anything? Agreement presupposes a world, notice, made by God. We have to have this kind of world if we're going to have a, a you know agreement. And so uh, this world is made by God, it's designed to be orderly and designed to be known by rational minds. So we can see that this kind of argument is presuppositional. We assume that, you know, the world is created and organized by God. It's, uh, it's appealing, he says, to the truth of knowledge of God that the unbeliever has but has suppressed a la Romans chapter one, right? This is a knowledge that he has in common with the, with the believer. So to argue in this way, he tells us, is very different from saying, well, let's assume that the Bible can be false and let's judge its truth on the higher authority of our senses and logic. No, 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 right? That's, that's what he's saying. No, we, we don't start like that, right? We start with Jesus as Lord. We start with a world that allows us to reason, right? A world that's orderly, 
that's designed for us to know. We have to start there, right? And where does that come from? That comes from a God who is in control and who's created the world. So, you know, we have to take a step further back than just senses and logic. We have to go one step further back. And oftentimes, the apologist um, uh, gives too much away, I think, to the unbeliever, right? You know, they're, they're assuming that the senses and the logic and all that sort of thing is, uh, is, is, is they're just, uh, they're uh, are presupposed, we might say. <laughs> and we want to question that, right? We want to question that worldview. What's the basis of that worldview? How can you presuppose that logic works or that sense perception is reliable, right? Let's, let's move them a step back. And that's the only way you can have those types of things, reliability of sense perceptions and logic, is if we live in the kind of world that God has created. Right. And so that's the foundation that we want to get to and that we want to um, stand on as we do our apologetic methodology. And so let's not, you know, let's not give the unbeliever uh, stuff that their worldview doesn't allow for. Yeah. We need to question that and yeah, make, make sure that they understand exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you might think, well, you know, in order to understand the, the, the Bible, you need to know language. You need to trust your senses. You need to trust your memory. How can you do all those things? Well, he, here again, we're talking about the foundational beliefs. So is the Bible able to give us things like the creation of the human language, the ability to, uh, for, for the most part, understand your senses and uh, to, to be reliant upon your memories? And so can the foundation example give you those things? So you might have to start uh, with uh, a conversation with words, with with uh, ideas, with memories of you learning those words. But can your ultimate standard uh, create, again, the, the, the basketball court for you to dribble the ball? And so we don't want to give that to the other side if they don't have it. Now, if they do have it, that that's that'd be a really good conversation to have because then we're we're able to do a, a, a little bit more. Uh, but just to say, oh, uh, you know, uh, language is the thing that we all share in common, and so I'll give that to you. Why? Why are we doing that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of presuppositional in, in a nutshell, and obviously we're we're still on the on the basics, and uh, we're we're going to build out from there. We're going to talk about. Uh, well, you know, can can we just say over and over again? Well, you know, I, I I trust God's word, and that's all there is. Why do I trust God's word? Because God's word says I should trust it. And th th there we go. I'm 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 just I'm just you know going around on on the bicycle. Well, okay, we'll we'll talk about that uh, next time. And so again, um, um, all these uh, um, uh, episodes you can find on the website uh, cavetothecross.com. Uh, from there, uh, we post on uh, kind of a daily basis uh, short clips from. Uh, the longer uh, episode, and you can find those also on Cave of the Cross, but you can also find them on YouTube and uh, Odyssey and Rumble. And so um, if, if you don't uh, want to watch us, uh, there's always the, the uh, audio uh, podcast. All the links are on Cave of the Cross, uh, or you type Cave of the Cross, and however you're finding us now is how you got there. So um, uh, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd appreciate any likes, comments, uh, uh, you know, reviews, stuff like that. Uh, but if not, I'm glad that you uh, uh, picked up this book and uh, want to have a solid foundation for uh, your apologetic method. And uh, and uh, we'll continue uh, our discussion on the basics of apologetics next time. So.
So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.